Well, we are reaching the end of uh, the book of Exodus. And I think as I said at the start of this series, I've never preached through the book of Exodus before. And I've learned so much uh, as I've worked through it. And I hope that you have as well. I think if Genesis introduces us to God who is the creator, the book of Exodus introduces us to God who is the redeemer. And from the rest of the Bible, we see God as creator and redeemer. And of course, it takes us to the New Testament where we meet the one in the flesh who is the creator and the redeemer. But we'll get there. We're looking at the tabernacle. And uh, you might think if you were with us a few weeks ago, haven't we done that already? But if you're reading through the book of Exodus, you get about five or six chapters. Uh, then you get a break when things go badly. God puts things back on track and then you get another six chapters on the tabernacle. So regardless of what you might or I might think, God thinks the tabernacle is very important. It's about a third of the book of Exodus. We're going to move on beyond uh, this book, uh, God willing, and look at the book of Leviticus at some point. And as we look at Leviticus, we're going to see what Exodus is preparing us for. And if I can take you back to the time when God speaks to Moses, there's a bush that's burning, but it hasn't burnt up. And God speaks to him out of the bush and he gives Moses a task. And then Moses, of course, with his brother Aaron, goes to Pharaoh and asks him to let the people free that they might do what? Worship God. And we are now arriving and seeing what God will put in place so that the people of God can worship him. Because, and we've seen this already, particularly when you go back to Israel and Mount Sinai, if you have a holy God and you have a wicked people, then there is no hope for the people. Unless, of course, there's a mediator. Unless there's provision for the forgiveness of sins. And we saw Moses putting up his hand to be a mediator. We're now seeing the establishment of a building. Well, it's, it's a movable building at this point. It's really a, a big tent where there are furnishings that will provide for the people to worship God by forgiveness being offered through sacrifice. But we don't really discover all the ins and outs of that until you get to the book of Leviticus. To put this into the context, looking at the tabernacle, we saw the plans, the designs put into place, and then they are derailed as the people of God build a golden calf and they worship it. And God says, you might remember from last week, that the people can go into the promised land, but I won't go with them. And of course, God's plan was that this might be his chosen possession his royal priesthood a holy nation that he might be with them as his people and now he's saying well they can go in but i'm not going with them and of course there's a uh, an interchange that takes place again with moses and moses reminds god that his name is at stake god's reputation as the holy saving god is at stake and so god says I will go with them, but before they are to move, the tabernacle needs to be built. So what we're looking at here now is the Lord and his instructions for the building of the tabernacle now being put into place. And we pick it up at chapter 35. 
And in chapter 35, Moses assembles the whole Israelite community and he says to them, these are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Now the idea of Sabbath goes way back. Uh, we saw it in the wilderness when the people were instructed to gather on six days, but not on the seventh. Uh, they were able to get double on the sixth so that they could have a day of rest to the Lord on the seventh. We see it built into the Ten Commandments uh, that God has created the world in six days and on the seventh rested. So the people are to be distinctive like God and work six days and rest one. Now they are about to do some serious work. And so God's saying when you go about your work, you've got to do it my way. This pattern of six and one will actually shape your work from this point onwards. And then we start to read about the forming and shaping and building of this tabernacle. Um, and I want to pick up on a number of things. We're not going to read right through six chapters, but I'm going to look at some threads that we see through this. The first is there's a picture of abundant gifts that are to be used for the building of the tabernacle. Um, let me read to you from verse 4. Um, it's still in chapter 35. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver and bronze, purple, blue and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. What I want you to notice here is the opulence, the, the, the glamour, the, the richness of what's going on. God is calling upon the people to give beautiful, extravagant things for the building of this tabernacle. Um, and there's all kinds of things. There is the wealth of gold and silver and bronze, which sounds rather Olympic, doesn't it? Uh, you, you have a picture here of, of fine wood, of, of beautiful um, linen and, and uh, materials, uh, different types of leather. In fact, uh, it's interesting that translators don't know what to do with what the NIV here is called durable leather. And I went back through all the English translations that I could find, and uh, these were the options. Durable leather, the Christian Standard Bible had fine leather, the ESV had, had goat skin, the Derby translation from 1890 had badger skin, the ASV had seal skin, and if this wasn't politically incorrect enough, the NASB has porpoise skin. Um, in other words, they don't know exactly what animal it was, right? But it's, it creates a very nice leather. So you've got this beautiful set of materials. And when you look at the picture that you see in, um, in chapter 38 and verse 24, when they're kind of accounting for all these materials, in verse 24, it says the total amount of the gold from the wave offering used for all the work on the sanctuary was 29 talents and 730 shekels according to the sanctuary shekel. 
And then the silver obtained is uh, 100 talents and 1,775 shekels. And then the bronze is 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. Now, I'm not sure that means much to us. So I'm going to put it in um, terms that we'll understand. The amount of gold that's collected, by and large from ornaments that the people have, amounts to a ton of gold. And in today's... Uh, Standard, if you were to look up the price of gold at the moment, that would cost you $83 million. So this is not the kind of tent that you buy at Anaconda. Uh, th this is a special tent to the Lord that God ha is giving instructions for the building of, and the people give generously to this. In fact, there's an interesting thing at the end of uh, chapter 35, I think it is, no, 36, the people in verse, sorry, chapter 36, verse 5, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work that the Lord commanded them to be done. So then Moses gives an order. They send the word out to the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because they'd already brought more than enough to do all the work. Um, so there's a generosity behind this. They're, they're giving beautiful things. And really, of course, they're, they're giving for the work of God, that which is ultimately God's. And if you think about it, they're giving to the work stuff that they got from the Egyptians when they went out of slavery in Egypt. And they've been hanging on to this stuff and God has a purpose for it. They, they weren't just kind of... Uh, getting rich off the proceeds of being released from slavery, God had a plan for this wealth. That is, it's to build a place where God will dwell. We see something also of the attitudes of the people. And this is, I think, in direct contrast to what we saw back in chapter 32 with the golden calf. Uh, the attitude gets brought out a number of times. Um, my version has the word willing, uh, but it's got the idea of being eager of heart. So, so it's really willing, okay? The, from deep within, they're wanting to do this. And uh, so in chapter 35, in verse 5, everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. Down in verse 21, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of, the, of meeting. Verse 22, all who are willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds and other things as well. Uh, verse 26, and all the women who were willing and had the skills spun the goat hair. And verse 29, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work that the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. So you, you see a real change of heart going on here. Um, God has been at work in the people of Israel and they're giving from their heart to God to be used in the building of the tabernacle. Not only has he, he been working on their attitude, but he's also been working on their ability um, because here are people who were slaves in Egypt. Um, now, God had obviously given these people all kinds of different abilities that maybe they weren't being able to use at the time that they were slaves. But it seems as you read it that God's given people special ability to enable them to be able to build this tabernacle. So I'll give you some of these references. 
So in chapter 35, verse 10, all who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. Now that, that would immediately say to me, okay, I'm not wanted here, right? Because I don't have these sort of skills. But as you read on, Verse 25, every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple or scarlet yarn or fine linen. Um, and then verse 31, and he has filled them, this is Moses has filled these people with the spirit of God and with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills. So this is God's spirit at work in the people to make artistic designs for the work in gold, silver and bronze, to be able to cut and set stones, to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he's given them, uh, both him and another bloke, uh, the ability to teach others. This is God's work. So God provides uh, the materials. He provides the motivation for the people to give the materials. He provides the skill needed to work with the materials. Um, and so as you read on, um, verse uh, 1 of chapter 36, so Bezalel and Aholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. And then Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. And down in verse 4, so all the skilled workers who were doing all the work, and so it goes on. So they're skilled, they're willing, they're, they're dealing with all the wonderful gifts that God has given them to work with. And then they had to start building. And so if you come to, uh, well actually before we go to chapter 39, I want to just recap from chapter 25. So this is the beginning of what we uh, saw with the instructions about building the ark. Uh, Nathan took you through this a few weeks back. Um, chapter 25, verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern that I will show you. Now, I think we've got to let those words sink in a little bit. God is saying that this is going to be a place where he dwells. This is where God will be. God will be with them. Therefore, they are to make this dwelling and the things that go in it exactly according to the pattern that God gives them to do it. This will be his design. So what happens? Well, this section of Exodus... We see it all coming together. And in chapter 39, let me read these things to you. So from the purple, this is verse 1, from the blue, purple and scarlet yarn, they, they made woven garments for ministering in the sanctuary and they also made sacred gardens for Aaron as the Lord commanded Moses. Uh, come down to verse 5, they made various things as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 7, as the Lord commanded Moses. Down in verse 21, as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 26, as the Lord commanded Moses. 29, as the Lord commanded Moses. 
31, as the Lord commanded Moses. 32, the Israelites did everything just as the Lord commanded Moses. You know, one of the things about hearing the Bible read, as opposed to just sitting down and reading it for ourselves, is that repetition like that sticks in the memory. And I take it that as this is written, for the people of God to read from that time until now, we pick up on these things. They were skilled, they were skilled, they were skilled, they were skilled. They were willing, they were willing, they were willing. And they did it all as the Lord commanded Moses. So there's obedience here. They're, they're following the pattern. They're doing it exactly as they were intended to do it. And as you get to the end of chapter 39, you get this summary statement. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord commanded Moses. Everything. They, they built this thing. And Moses inspected the work and he saw what they had done and they'd done it just as the Lord had commanded. So Moses blessed them. I mean, we've turned a corner here. From, from the heartache of a couple of weeks ago with the building of the, of the golden calf, we have a picture of repeated obedience. Great detail. In fact, an interesting thing to do, but you, you couldn't possibly do it in a sermon, um, and you'd probably be a little bored doing it in a Bible study group, but you could certainly do it on your own, is to match the instructions for the building of the tabernacle with what actually gets built. And you'll see it's pretty much word for word. What Moses gets told, that's what they do, just as the Lord commanded Moses. And then Moses looks at it and it's almost like a, a, a kind of repetition of God looking at the creation that he's made and seeing that it's good. And so Moses blessed the people after they had done all these things. Not only do they build it exactly according to the pattern, but in the establishment then of, of, the, of the tabernacle, Moses has things that need to be put into place. Um, he's to tell Aaron certain things. Uh, he's to take things and put them in different places. And you get a similar refrain here. So in chapter 40, the, the chapter we had read, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month. And then you read him setting up all of these different things. And again, you get this refrain, verse 16, Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. Down in verse 19, he spread the tent over the tabernacle, put the covering over the tent as the Lord commanded him. He hung the curtains and shielded the ark as the Lord commanded him. Verse 22, set out the bread uh, just as the Lord commanded him. Verse 25, he set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. 27, burning the fragrant incense as the Lord commanded him. Down in verse 29, offering a burnt offering and grain offering as the Lord commanded him. And verse 32, they washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting or approached the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. And verse 33, then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. It's a wonderful picture here of God's representative Moses passing on God's word to the people and God enabling them to be faithful to him, 
doing everything that he called them to do. Now, friends, there are, there's a lot of time and a lot of culture and a lot of Bible that has passed since then. And so there are all sorts of questions as to what to do with a passage like this, which by and large just sounded like a set of instructions for building. Um, what are we to make of it? Well, I think there are a number of things that we're to see. And looking at the last few verses of the last chapter of Exodus draws this together for us. So verse 34, and it's literally as, as Moses finished the work that the cloud covers the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. So God is saying, I want to be with my people. The God who was uh, to be approached at the top of Mount Sinai comes down to Mount Sinai, now comes down further to this tabernacle, the tent, in the midst of the people. God comes and the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. And so Moses can't enter the tent of meeting, that's the tabernacle, interchangeable words here, because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Remember Moses was told that he cannot see the face of God and live. This tabernacle now will be the place where you'll meet with God, but not everyone can do that. There are a very special group of people who are going to be able to do that. Those in the line of Aaron the priestly family. We hear, heard about them. So the glory of the Lord comes and dwells amongst the people. And the glory of the Lord will remain with the people as they travel. So the last few verses, in the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. The Israelites have a visual reminder day and night of the presence of God with them. The cloud over the tabernacle, the fire in the cloud at night time over the tabernacle. Not just when they're still, but when they move. God is with his people. We might take that for granted. We, we speak about God being with us if we've been Christians for some time. We, we speak of talking to God and coming into God's presence and, and, and use a whole range of different language, walking with God, hearing from God, talking to God, reading of God, all this kind of thing. But we cannot take any of that for granted because the holy God chooses and enables his people to relate to him. And that's what we've seen going on here, on his terms. But he does so with them wherever they go. And that's a great promise that the Israelites have at this time. And I want to say to you, we have an even greater promise today. Because as we've seen a couple of times in this series, God has come among us and tabernacled with us the word tabernacle meaning tent is exactly the word that gets used in john chapter 1 and verse 14 i'll read it again we've, we've picked it up a couple of times but 
think it's worth just highlighting this. It's a well-chosen word by John as he writes this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John chapter 1, verse 14. Or if we could retranslate it, the word became flesh and made his tent among us. He tabernacled among us. Now, who is this word? Well, the word in verse 1 was with God in the beginning and the word was God. And everything's been made through this word. So God becomes man incarnate in Jesus. God in the flesh makes his dwelling among us. And then John writes, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. You want to see the glory of God? Then you look to Jesus. God came among us. God dwelt among us. In the beginning of Matthew's gospel, when Mary is told the name that is to be given to the baby within her, he's to be called Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. He will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, God has come not just to be in a tent at the heart of these traveling Jewish nomads. God has come to be with all those who come to Jesus in Jesus himself for us. And so when you get to the end of the Gospel of John, um, just before he goes to his death, Jesus is praying and he prays these words in John chapter 17. Let me read them for you. John 17 and verses 1 to 5. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those that you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. So you've got a picture here of the word dwelling who is God, who is with God, who has glory, the, the Son with the Father from all eternity, shows the glory of the Father in his flesh by dying for us and being raised again, and so that he is now able to give eternal life to all. That's where we see the glory of God at work for us. See, when it says God with us, it's a, it's a lot more than an eternal being dwelling in a tent. God with us is God for us. God stepping into our human form, becoming a man, and being obedient and dying on a cross. And God raising him into the heavenly places. There we see the glory of God at work. And, and remember Jesus said that just as God would be with his people in the cloud day and night as they traveled. Jesus said, I have authority in heaven and on earth and I will be with you to the very end of the age as you go and make disciples in my name.
Jesus is promising to be with us wherever we go. Friends, there's, there's so many little points of connection that we could make in this section. We, we could talk about how, how God gives gifts to his church to build the church. How he gives a desire and a heart to be obedient to him. And we'll see that in Philippians chapter 2. To make us both willing and able as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We see that, that in Jesus, God is building a house. But it's not a tent and it's not a temple. It's actually a people. It's a church. It's a, it's a community. God is building us as living stones, it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. Built upon the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And as you look at that passage, we're reminded in 1 Peter 2 that this is what God had promised back in Exodus. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's our calling. That's our job description. That's what God is building. God, the missionary God, was calling his people Israel to be a holy nation, to be distinct. And God promised that he would be with them as they traveled. God has come to us in Jesus. And he's calling us to be a holy people, a distinct people, a people who will actually help others to know what God is like. And as we live amongst people, it says here in verse 12, live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Friends, if you, if you want the Christian message in a nutshell, it's this, glory to God. That's what God deserves. And that's what he gets when he saves us and builds us into his house. The glory goes to him. Thank you. As we... Um, as we finish this up, and um, I'm, I will lead in prayer in just a minute, I want to encourage you to uh, look at the book of Philippians. We're going to start Philippians next week. Nathan will kick us off as we begin this book. Um, it's four chapters long, not 40, four chapters long. So we're going to dwell a little more closely, uh, looking at a few verses each week. Um, I encourage you to... Think about how you can let it soak in. So reading it in advance, reading it afterwards. Um, if you're like me, you might have a, a highlight pencil and highlight verses or write little notes when things strike you. Maybe you've got a notebook and, and you can um, write down questions or thoughts. Uh, our salt groups are going to be looking at Philippians together. Um, and here's a heads up for the leaders. We're going to do that Swedish method where... You kind of ask questions of it and the group discovers things and then shares that with each other. And then as we get together at church, 
I think we'll see more and more of the glory of God through the book of Philippians. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that as you made yourself known to Israel, so you make yourself known through Jesus to us today. Um, help us to appreciate you for who you are, to worship you in your glory. Um, help us to appreciate the depths and the breadth of what you've shown us in your love through Christ. We ask that you'll use us to share the good news of Jesus with those around us and that you'll move us to live lives that draw attention to Jesus. Uh, we pray that we will influence for good those around about us as we seek to show more and more your glory in the way that we live. Amen.